We've already prayed uh, for God's help as we've sung that song. We, we invited him to, to speak to us. Um, I, I don't know how you enjoy reading God's word in services or, or hearing somebody try to teach them. It's just a, an absolute given for us that the living God speaks to us in his word. Uh, that's why we do this thing, which might seem like a curiosity, taking time to read it and to, to reflect on it. But we, we believe that our creator God, the, the, the great center of the whole universe, uh, speaks to us. And we count it a huge privilege then to hear him. So uh, let me pray again. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today. Amen. Our Sunday morning teaching uh, necessarily has been a wee bit fragmented uh, over the last few weeks. We had uh, Christmas, New Year. Um, So I thought I'd take a moment just to put us back in the context, uh, tell you where this bit of teaching this morning fits in the wider context of our series in Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel presents Jesus Christ as Savior, the one who saves us in all the ways that we need to be saved. It's a gospel too that talks about the universal reach of Jesus' salvation. It's a salvation that's for rich and for poor. It's for men and for women. It's for Jews and for Gentiles, that that is non-Jewish people. In fact, it's for the whole world. So Jesus is the saviour and he's come for the whole world. And we've tried to reflect that in the title that we've given our series, uh, The Saviour of the World. Just another introductory comment. Luke's Gospel can be divided into three sections. I've shown you this before, but I'll quickly remind you. Section one deals with all the stuff about Jesus' birth and his early life and then his ministry in Galilee. Section three tells about his time in the city of Jerusalem, his death and his resurrection, and the new life of the Jesus community that he puts in motion after that. We're in the second section. It's a section that talks about Jesus' journey from Galilee up to Jerusalem. He's on the road with his disciples and he's preparing them for their work, their lives of service in his kingdom. One thing you'll notice, the first part of Luke's Gospel, which we looked at last year, it dealt a lot with his his great actions and his deeds. Lots of miracles and so on in in the first part of Luke's Gospel. This second part seems to be characterized a little bit more by Jesus' words than his actions, his teaching. So think of it as a, a road trip with the master teacher, and you're not far off what this middle section of Luke's gospel is all about. Richie's preached the last couple of sermons in this series. So just before Christmas, he did a a bit of teaching on prayer, showed us what Jesus had taught about prayer in chapter uh, 10. And then last Sunday, or sorry, two weeks ago, he was preaching a little bit on uh, how Jesus had been accused of of working in the power of Satan uh, and showed us how Jesus refuted that. This morning, in the passage that Philip's just read, we're going to deal with three different themes. 
We'll see in verse 33 that disciples of Jesus must be visible. Verses 34 to 36, disciples must see clearly. And then in the remainder of the chapter, disciples shouldn't follow or be bad leaders. Let's start with that first idea. Disciples must be visible. Verse 33. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead he puts it on its stand so that those who come to see, come in, may see the light. Makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't matter how powerful your light is, if you put it in the wrong place, it, it won't shine any light for anyone to see. It doesn't matter how good that uh, spotlight app is on your smartphone, if your phone's in your pocket. It's not lighting anything because it's, it's not in the right place. If you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, you might recognize this little chunk of teaching. It's recorded elsewhere. Matthew gives us a fuller version. He preludes this idea with a sentence where he says to the disciples, you are the light of the world. So we need to read this passage with that sentence ringing in our ears, I think. You are the light of the world. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ is is supposed to be light shining into the world. Jesus goes on in Matthew's Gospel. He says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Folks, I'll I'll tell you, there are few things that excite me more as the, the minister, the leader in this church than to see the light shine from this place. It's... It's, I'm, I'm thinking of last summer when we went down onto the, the pitches there at um, Strandtown School. Very visible public place. We had a great time with loads of children. A bit like what you've seen on the, the SU uh, presentation here this morning. Or I'm thinking of something smaller but that's happening this morning. And that is the wee building half a mile away from here in Clarawood where a small community of people are gathering and are worshipping Jesus Christ and and the people in the houses and streets nearby are are seeing that. They see the lights on in the building. They've seen already some some wonderful steps that that small community has taken to to reach out and to bless the neighbourhood. Or, you know, I'm, I'm thinking just actually of our normal everyday life as a church family. We're here. We gather to worship God and we do things that bless the community. Claire was telling me this week um, of an interaction she had with a a mum on Tuesday night when she was doing the GB drop-off. The mum was handing in a form to to go on a a BB camp for her son to go on the BB camp. The mum shared that she doesn't come to this church or actually to any church, but that the wee boy loves coming to BB. The BB is the light of the world. The wee boys find themselves attracted to it. Long before he has any idea of the source of the light, he finds himself drawn to the light. 
So, so folks, I love how God shines through our, our gathered church life, whether it's here on a Sunday or in other times during the week. But I love too how God shines through each one of you individually during the week when you're scattered out there in your, your workplaces, your neighborhoods, wherever God has put you. I heard a brilliant story um, just over Christmas time about a couple in the church who thought they'd invite their neighbours round uh, for a bit of a gathering in the run-up to Christmas. So one neighbour wrapped the door the night before and said, excuse me, those invitations, is that a joke? <laughs> you know, people inviting their neighbours in seems outlandish nowadays in a lot of neighbourhoods. Another neighbour who'd, who'd come along to the event, who'd sat on uh, for hours afterwards enjoying the hospitality, and he was saying thanks for the invitation. He said, no one's done this for me before. Why did you do it? Well, well why do we do stuff like that? And probably a lot of reasons, a lot of good reasons for doing stuff like that. But one of the reasons that we come out of ourselves, that we don't live behind closed doors and behind high hedges, is because we're the light of the world. And we don't want to live under bowls. We want to be where we're seen, so that occasionally people see Jesus in us. Let's continue, folks, in our text. Verses 34 to 36. The NIV makes it look as if these are on the same theme. And the word lamp occurs, but I cannot make these the same thing. Uh, I tried, but uh, I I don't see it. I think this is quite a different idea. And actually, this, this material occurs also in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, but he puts it in a different place than the light of the world stuff. And that sort of affirms me in the sense that there are two different ideas here. So if Jesus isn't talking anymore about keeping our faith public, what's, what's he talking about in these next few verses? He's talking about our eyes. He's talking about how we see We might say he's talking about the importance of of clear vision or a clear perspective. The way he does that actually is by talking about what's at stake when you do or don't have clear perspective. He says, when your eyes are good, your whole body's full of light. But when they're bad, your body's full of darkness. Everything. The very life that we have in us depends on how we see, how we take in our perspective, our worldview. And because it's so important, Jesus warns his disciples, verse 35, see to it then that the light within you isn't darkness. Guard your sight. Pay attention to your perspective. Cultivate a life-giving worldview. A few weeks ago, we introduced our kids to the modern classic movie, The Truman Show. Uh, Many of you uh, saw it way back then, or at least have heard of it. The the film stars Jim Carrey 
as Truman Burbank. He's an unwanted baby raised by a corporation inside a, a simulated TV show, a bit like a, a precursor of a, a reality show, until he discovers that he's, he's just a pawn and, and he decides that he wants to escape. At one point, the creator and the executive producer... Christoph, um, which uh, is a bit scary for me that this cynical guy goes by that name, he explains how something like this could work. He says, We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. It's hard to argue with that. By and large, we go through life accepting a lot of life that's uh, given to us or offered to us. Our worldview is often dictated to us by the advertisers, the movie makers, the songwriters, the other culture creators. Let me say that while I understand that idea entirely, I don't believe it is as simple as that. And I don't believe it's inevitable that our view of the world is given to us by advertisers and songwriters. While it's true that we do tend to accept the reality of the world with which we're presented, we have a good deal of choice in what kind of a world we choose to be present to. What we look at what we give our attention to, that will inevitably shape our worldview. So if I fill up my life with catch-up TV and box sets and celebrity gossip, then inevitably they, they will shape how I see the world. I sometimes wonder how seriously we take this. Sometimes in conversations with people, I, um, you know, the conversation might be around how much time we, we spend giving our attention to celebrities or whatever. And I get the sense that people think, sure, it's no big deal. It's just a harmless diversion. The reality couldn't be further from the truth. An obsession with celebrity doesn't lie quietly beside our other values. That's not how it works. It displaces our other values. A study published in the Journal of Cyberpsychology reveals an extraordinary shift that's taken place in the end of the last century and the start of this one in the US. So in 1997... The dominant values expressed in the, the TV shows watched by 9 to 11-year-olds, the dominant values that were per- perceived in those shows were community feeling followed by benevolence. Being with your family, being with your friends, being good and kind to each other, those were the top two values, 1997. Fame came 15th in that list of 16 qualities. By 2007, after a period when shows like Hannah Montana had come onto the scene, sorry for any Hannah Montana, um, I see a few guys smiling. It's, um, 
whenever we revisit the list in 2007, community has fallen to number 11 out of 16, benevolence to number 12, fame comes first, followed by achievement, image, popularity, and financial success. In 10 years, the worldview of our kids turned upside down because of what's on television. That's a a wee bit of research about kids in the US and maybe you feel quite distant from that for one reason or another. A recent paper in the International Journal of Cultural Studies found that among people that surveyed in the UK, those people who follow celebrity gossip most closely are three times less likely to be involved in a real community at a local level and half as likely to volunteer. Virtual neighbours, it turns out, replace real neighbours and real relationships and friendships. What we choose to look at changes entirely how we see See to it then, says Jesus, that the light within you is not darkness. Be careful how you see. There's a lot of talk these days uh, about smartphones and uh, screens in general taking up too much of our time. I I don't know if you've heard the phrase, people are talking about going on a, a digital fast Reducing the amount of time that we spend uh, interacting with screens. Well, here's an idea for early 2017. Digital fast, biblical feast. Resolve to spend a little bit, even a little bit less time looking at, at screens, whether it's TV shows or social media or whatever, and divert just a little bit of that time on a daily basis to reading God's word. This morning, uh, a number of us, uh, about 15 of us, gathered in, in the Whitley Hall to start to accompany each other as we read the Bible this year, the Community Bible Experiment, as we're calling it. Lots more people than that are, are reading. My, my invitation to you this year, if you want to take Jesus' word seriously, if you want to be careful how you see then come and look at God's word. Come and read the one thing that's guaranteed to restore a 2020 vision, a worldview given by God himself. When we do that, our eyes are good, Jesus says, and our whole body is full of light. I'm going to pause there for a second. I'm going to come back and preach just for a few moments on the last part of the passage. But we're going to pause and we're going to sing together. Break the sermon up a wee bit today. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Uh, I was going to say, you could sing this song sitting, but I think it all benefit from a bit of movement. Just it's Baltic in here. So get up on your feet, sing. And while we're doing that, the stewards will lift this morning's offering.
we want to see you and we want to see the world as you see it. So give us eyes to see it. Amen. Going to spend the last few moments of our time together dealing with the the longer passage. Don't worry, moving through it much, much quicker. Verses 37 to 54. NIV calls it the six woes. Uh, They're talking about six times or six different things that Jesus says to the religious leaders of his community to show them how they're falling short of God's intentions for them. Terrifying stuff for anybody who leads. Bear in mind, Jesus' disciples are are on this road trip with them. Who knows, they might be at this gathering. Let's say that, and and because Luke's recorded this for us, let's say it's for, for anyone who's a disciple of Jesus Christ to hear this. And Jesus is showing his disciples that they they shouldn't follow or be bad teachers, bad leaders. What does a bad leader look like in Jesus' world? We'll move very quickly through this. They're more into appearance than they are into reality. Verse 39 challenges the Pharisees because they clean the outside of the cup and are full of greed and wickedness. He's speaking to anybody who cares more about what they look like than who they really are. Are you terrified yet? Any one of us, probably. These guys, they give as little as they can get away with. So he says, you you give uh, your tithes, what you're obliged to, but you, you don't want to live sacrificial lives. Am I losing power? Are you still hearing me okay? Okay. They're looking for prestige. Not the first leaders, I'm sure, to do that. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Reserve me a car parking space. Call me reverend. Every time you print my name, make sure all my academic qualifications are behind it. Just make sure that people know how important I am. Have you seen it? I'm sure you have. That's the mindset of a bad Christian leader. They're constantly burdening people, verse 46. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves won't lift a finger to help them. It's like the church leader who loads the weak with program after program after program speaks to the the mother of the young children about coming along to this meeting or that meeting and he never once offers to babysit or arranges the babysitting for her. These leaders refuse to repent of the past. Verses 47 to 51. This one I think needs a bit more explanation. The religious leaders of Jesus' day seem to be imagining themselves righteous because they're building tombs for, for the prophets. Throughout Israel's history, God's people hadn't always been kind to the prophets who were sent to them. Sometimes they mistreated them, sometimes they even killed them. Jesus tells the leaders of his day that they're 
They're building tombs for these prophets rather than distancing themselves from the sins, the actions of their forefathers. Shows that they were chips off the old block. In a short time, whenever Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, his assessment would prove true. He told these guys, you guys are just like your forefathers who killed the prophets. Jesus goes to Jerusalem and the religious leaders take the greatest prophet the world has ever known, God's own son, the saviour of the world, and they kill him. Bad leaders of Jesus' day refused to repent of the past Folks, I don't have time this morning to elaborate on that in our context. I simply ask a question. Do our Christian communities in Ulster have grounds for repentance when we think about the trajectory we've come on historically? I suspect we do. And a good leader would recognize that. These people keep people from God. Verse 52, Jesus says that the leaders of his day, they've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves haven't entered and you've hindered those who are entering. What an irony. The very purpose of a a Christian leader is to, to know God themselves and then to lead the people to God. If I'm not doing that, then I fail entirely. I've, I've flown down those woes there. By the way, the observant among you will have noticed that I've, I've put an extra bullet point on the screen. I started with one that wasn't technically a woe on the list. The extra idea is the first one. It comes from verses 39 to 42, and I think it merits attention, even though it's not dressed up as a woe. The one that I've skipped is the one that would have come in at number four on our list. Verse 44. I've kept it for last because actually it's, it's probably the climax. We wouldn't recognize it as a climax because we don't tend to put climactic ideas in the middle of a list. But actually in Luke's time, this is exactly how you showed a climax. You put it in the middle of your list. So the last thing about bad leaders, verse 44... They lead people into death. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you're like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. I don't think he's actually highlighting a particular action here. The guys aren't pretending to be graves, hoping that people will (coughs) fall into them. What Jesus is doing here, I think, is offering a, a pretty chilling assessment of the effect of bad Christian, bad religious leadership. The effect of all your self-centered leadership, the effect of your denial of me, is that you lead people to death instead of life. Folks, it would have been obvious to you when we read this passage, and maybe even more so now that we've reflected on it for a moment, that leadership in the people of God is huge. It's a matter of life and death, Jesus says. 
No wonder that Jesus is so hard on those who are leading people into death. He wants people always to come into life. I'm pretty much done. I just want to close by offering for a moment some reflections on how we might take this part of God's word to heart. If you're a leader, just guard your heart. Pay attention. Have a wee look at that list. See if it's flagging up anything for you. And if you see anything of yourself there, get on your knees and repent. Don't stand between God's people and the life that he wants to give them. Pray for your work as a leader. That's for leaders. For any one of us, we're not all in leadership. Pray for our leaders. One thing you would notice if you scan the whole of what the Bible teaches about leadership, it's that God... God holds leaders responsible. Being a leader is no walk in the park. So pray for your leaders. Pray for us here in the church. I don't mind saying pray for me. I I don't want to look anything like the guys Jesus is describing in this list. If you see any of this in me, come and talk to me about it because I don't want to be that. A second thing you could do, and we're going to have an opportunity to do this in the life of our church soon, is elect, choose godly leaders. Whenever we're, we're going to elect new elders, I'll talk about that in a moment with, with our announcements. We're going to start a process just now of electing new elders. Don't let anybody who looks like this onto our church's leadership. Will you do me a favor? I have to lead our church's leadership. Don't elect people like this. But for your sake, don't don't sit under their leadership. Elect, think of the person who can lead you closer to Jesus. The person who's actually already doing it. And simply validate their life of godly living by, by nominating them to be a future leader folks the last thing I'd say about leadership is in Jesus we have the model leader he's the antidote to all of those issues uh, raised on that screen let's lead in the way of Jesus and let's follow only those leaders who will lead us with him let me pray Father God, we thank you for the ways in which you've shown us a little of your heart again today in your word. You've shown us through Jesus' teaching and Luke's record of it that you want us to shine for you in this world. Lord, we've heard that before, maybe a lot of us, and today we're just encouraged, uh, reminded to, to consider that again. Lord, you've asked us to be careful of how we look at the world 
to think of the quality of our sight. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we wouldn't be content just to see the world as people around us see it, but to, to have 2020 vision, clear vision the way you would intend it. Help us to nurture that. And Lord, finally, we've talked about leadership. Uh, Lord, we take a moment to pray for the leadership in this church. Lord, for the sinful and broken men and women who lead in this place. We pray for an ongoing, gracious transformation. And Lord, we do pray for future leaders, that they too would be people who are growing in likeness to Jesus and can lead us in his ways. We pray it in his name. Amen.